0: Gracious Father, we thank you for life. Uh, We thank you for the physical life that we enjoy uh, today. Uh, Lord, for the strength to rise once again. Uh, And Lord, we ask that uh, through your spirit, uh, the one who guides us in our spiritual lives, uh, that you would guide us in all truth, uh, that this uh, moment uh, that we have in in the next uh, few Uh, minutes, Lord, would uh, glorify you, that it would be solely about you, uh, that you would help us to get out of the way uh, so that you may do that great work uh, of sanctification in every believer. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that does not know your son, uh, the one who we just sung is the ransom, uh, the rescuer, uh, the redeemer. Uh, Lord, we pray that your spirit would work mightily in their hearts, causing them to see the need for repentance, to uh, ask for forgiveness of their sin. Uh, Lord, and trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, alone uh, for salvation. Uh, And Lord, we'll just give you the honor, the praise, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up uh, to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, We're not going to be saying that much longer because we're coming close to the end of chapter 1. Uh, It's been a beautiful journey so far as we've taken a look at God's sovereign plan of salvation in the beginning of chapter 1, and right now we are in part 7. There's one more part, part 8, that we'll take a look at next week that will bring us all the way to the end of chapter 1. And uh, as we consider uh, this section a prayer to more deeply know, Paul has outlined things that uh, he wants us uh, to know in relation to the hope to which he's called us uh, uh, through Jesus Christ, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, uh, and what we've been taking a look at there in verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, which is evidenced in five different things. Uh, Last time we took a look at Uh, as we considered uh, this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe uh, in Christ being raised from the dead. Uh, Almighty power of God is even over death itself, something that uh, we have no power over. Uh, And the reason there is death is because there is law. Uh, And when we transgress that law, uh, that means that we are guilty And the wages of that sin is death, uh, the scriptures tell us. Uh, But uh, one thing that brings hope uh, and uh, speaks to those glorious riches is the power of God raising Jesus from the dead. Uh, And Paul, and Lord willing, like we today, want to know him and the power of his resurrection, as Paul states in Philippians chapter 3. That brings us to our text for today, uh, which will begin at the end of verse 20 uh, as we continue on and take a look at the second evidence uh, that Paul has given us in relation to this immeasurable greatness of God's power as it's working its great might uh, as we see there at the end of verse 20 uh, by seating him at the right hand in the heavenly places. So the second evidence that Paul puts forth is Christ being seated at the right hand of God. And this speaks to Jesus' ascension uh, after dying on the cross, after being raised from the dead. Uh, Jesus didn't just walk the earth and die again. Uh, he was ra- raised for the dead for the purpose of ascending to his rightful place because he had finished the work that he came to do. Uh, and so uh, I'd like you to turn um, to Acts chapter 1 for a few moments, uh, as we consider this evidence in Christ being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, In Acts chapter 1, and I'll begin reading in verse 3, because the first thing we need to see is that Jesus presented himself alive. Uh, And this is what separates Christianity from every other world religion. Our Savior is not dead. He cannot be a Savior if he is dead. Our Savior is alive, uh, and He presented Himself alive to those uh, after His resurrection. It says there in verse three: to them He presented Himself alive after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And see, the importance of this is the fact that as we think about Christ ascending, He could have ascended and not, you know, visibly presented Himself to anyone. He could have just gone right from the tomb right into heaven itself uh, and stayed there. Uh, But Jesus, uh, you know, uh, you know, wanted people to know that he was alive because, you know, think about it. Someone that you loved, someone that you listened to, someone that you were under his teachings, one who spoke uh, as one having authority, uh, who did many miracles uh, in their presence. Uh, one of the things that was if you want to call it a gut punch was when Jesus died on the cross that wasn 't because jesus didn 't let them know that he was going to die that he came to die, but that doesn 't you know remove the hurt does not remove maybe doubt that came about as a result of him dying, being prepared to be put in a tomb sealed in a tomb, and you know as Every other person that you know, they had buried in the ground, thinking that that's the end, uh, that's it. Uh, but Jesus, you know, presented himself alive, so that uh, by many proofs appearing to them, that they would know that everything he had said was true, that he had power over death itself. Uh, and so he presented himself alive. Uh, and if you look down there a little bit further in chapter one to verse nine. Uh, we see the account of Jesus actually uh, ascending uh, into heaven. It says, And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see, this you know, promise uh, of, of God through uh, the, the two men uh, that stood there with them in white robes, uh, no doubt angels of God, uh, preparing to uh, uh, encourage them as they watched Jesus uh, ascend into heaven, is that he wasn't ascending to stay there indefinitely. That Jesus, in the same way he was taken up, he was going to come back uh, down out of heaven. Uh, And so Jesus' ascension was a a glorious sight, no doubt, to see. Um, If we could have seen there, if we could have been there, uh, to see him, you know, rise up and clouds take him out of our sight. What a glorious day that would have been. But we would have needed to be encouraged as well that Jesus was going to come again. And that's where we are. We're waiting for the second part of this to transpire. We're waiting for Jesus Christ to come again. That's why we, we, you know, at the end of communion, we we do this in remembrance of Him, and we do to do so until the day that He returns, uh, because it's a remembrance of the sacrifice, but also of the promise that He's coming again. So Jesus ascended up into heaven. And he uh, ascended not just to be among other, you know, believers, uh, not to be just, you know, randomly in some, you know, place in heaven that uh, was uh, not in a place of honor. Uh, Instead, as we see scripturally, uh, as we find here in Ephesians chapter 1, that he was seated at the right hand in the heavenly places. Uh, And I'd like to take you to Hebrews chapter 1 for a moment. Uh, because it also speaks to Jesus sitting down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, begins by saying, He, speaking of Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Well, the reason why Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature is because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He is not just another man. He is not a created being. He is the eternal son of God. And so part of what God wanted us in knowing him to not have to guess or to formulate something in our own human minds, which are fallen and are tainted, is he sent his son who is of the same glory because he is God and the exact imprint of his nature. So in other words, Jesus did not represent anything but who God is when he walked the earth in his perfection, in his glory. And even though his his glory was veiled because no man could be in the presence of the glory of God without a body fit for eternity, a glorified body. It says... Uh, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So here's Jesus, the son of God, holds the universe. Not just one individual, not even 10 individuals, 100 individuals, every person in this building, every person in the state of Connecticut, every person in the United States, it is everything in the known and unknown universe is held by the, the word of His power. See, that is the kind of power that Paul wants us to see. That's the kind of power that transforms believers from being inept, weak, frail—you know, something that someone can step upon, step on, and mute and uh, make ineffective. Instead, we need to see that very power residing within us as sons and daughters of God, because the spirit of God indwells us, who is also uh, the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, because the spirit is also God. He, Jesus, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Emmanuel, God with us, redeemer, rescuer, savior. That's who Jesus is. Everything you just got done singing about moments ago is true about Jesus Christ. And the reason he sat down at the right hand at that place of honor is because Jesus Christ did everything he was supposed to do. Did it perfectly, without error. Not even a random thought went through Jesus' head on earth that was contrary to the perfect, eternal will of God. Just think for a moment. You probably had a random thought go through your head this morning coming to church. Something that may be drew your attention away from the almighty power of God. Maybe some burden that you're carrying, maybe something that you're dealing with, something that you don't know which direction to go, which way to turn. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that you need to remember that Jesus, Emmanuel, your savior, your redeemer, is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Because he is almighty God. He is the one who saved you. And he is the one who will bring you home. See, Jesus' ascension indicated the Father's approval of his work here on earth. He had finished. When he said it is finished on the cross, those were not just random words. They were in direct fulfillment of Jesus doing everything he was called to do. Everything that it was part of the eternal design set forth before the world was even made. He had truly finished what he was sent to do, and this marked the end of his veiled glory and the return to the splendor of his pre-incarnate glory. So in other words, there was no need for a veil any longer. The glory of God could shine forth, unveiled, because he was in his rightful place, being seated at the right hand of God. With all of that, the privileges that come at being at the throne as God Almighty, powerful, but yet our Savior. For us to be able to come to the Father and say, Abba, Father, those are glorious and beautiful things. And so Paul wants us to know the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, evidenced in Christ being seated at the right hand of the majesty of God on high the place of honor because he did everything he was supposed to do and he is waiting to return someday someday soon hopefully well let's speak for a few moments here this morning as we think about this seating at the right hand of the throne i'd like to speak about god's throne for a few moments uh, and what god's throne signifies Uh, There are, uh, I guess, actually uh, five things, uh, the first two together, uh, that I want to speak to uh, that scripture uh, highlights for us in relation to what the throne of God signifies. First is that of holiness and sovereignty. Uh, Turn over to Psalm 47 as we consider God's throne and what it signifies. For us to get a better idea of this place of honor of Jesus being seated at the right hand of God's throne. We need to know what God's throne is all about. the first two things are that of holiness and sovereignty. Psalm 47, 7 and 8. It says, for God is the king of all the earth. I want you to stop for a moment and take that in. There's many rulers in our world today. There are many people that are rulers by being voted into that position. There are those that are rulers by sheer force. But God is the king of all the earth. Capital K. Not a lowercase k. He's not a king. He is the king. See, as believers, we need to remember that. We need to remember what the throne signifies. We need to remember who God is. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. See, one of the aspects of God's throne is it's holy. That means there is no impurity. There is nothing that is going to detract from the perfection of God's throne. Nothing outside of, of heaven, not anything inside of heaven. That's why Satan, you know, was cast out because he represented everything that was in rebellion against God. And Satan still being a created being, God still has power over even him. He is king of all the earth. We'll flip forward a few pages to Psalm 103 because it also speaks to God's holiness and his sovereignty Because his throne is holy, and he reigns over the nations as king of all the earth. Psalm 103, 19 through 22. It says there the Lord has established his throne in the heavens. It's established. It's permanent. Because God is eternal. It is established in the heavens. And his kingdom rules over all. Without exception. There is nothing that God's kingdom does not rule over. Because remember, it is his almighty power that created it. It is his almighty power that sustains it. Verse 20. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord all His works in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. So my question for you, is there any place where God's dominion is not? Is there a place somewhere in the dark recesses of your heart where God's dominion does not reign? The answer to that question is no, because God reigns over all. He has dominion over all, because his throne is established in the heavens, because he is almighty God, sustainer, provider, keeper. So God's throne signifies holiness, perfection, no error, but also that he is sovereign over all. He answers to no one. No person on this earth, no person in heaven above, the earth below or beneath the earth. God does not answer to anyone. He is almighty God. Because the moment he answers to someone or something, he ceases to be almighty God. And that's not who he is. The scriptures are plain and clear. Because he is an immeasurable greatness of power, especially towards us who believe. Second, His throne signifies justice. Psalm, uh, actually, flip back to chapter nine. It's interesting as I think about these attributes. Not all of them come out, or these uh, what God's throne signifies. But it's you know the Psalms actually, as they you know wrote songs to sing to remind them of who God is, to remind them of God's attributes, to remind them of God's power. You know, we find here, you know, much of what signifies God's throne, holiness, sovereignty, and now justice. Psalm 9, 7, and 8. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. 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 There's no end to it. He has established his throne for justice. And he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the people with with uprightness. See, we don't have to worry about God being an unjust judge. Now, we may not like what God's judgment is, particularly when it applies to us personally. But the solace that we can take is the fact that God never does that which is bad. He only does that which is good. He only does that which is just and right. So when we think about everything that's happening on this planet, even right now, we may think and say, that's just not fair. We could even, you know, let's make it, you know, pretty personal, taking a look at the people of Ukraine. They are being bombarded out of their homes. Their lives are being taken. They're having to run, leaving everything behind. And some would look at that and say, that's unjust. And from a human perspective, it is unjust. But the thing that you need to remember is that every action, every random word, the just judge of all, who sits on his throne that is established from eternity, will judge in uprightness. So that means he cannot allow those things to happen without them being judged. Now, I know that doesn't take away you know, or give solace to what we're seeing go on today, but we need to trust in that. We need to remember that God is sovereign over all. He answers to no one. And even if we don't see God acting at this moment, to stop injustice does not mean he will not at some point yet to come execute justice because he has to. His righteousness demands it. If you don't believe me, look at the cross. Because that is the ultimate sign of God's righteousness being executed. Because the one who is just and right and glorious, the one who is in a place of honor, went to the cross of Calvary, taking your sin upon himself so that you could have a righteousness not your own. That is the justice of God. That's the mercy of God as well. Putting on his son what you and I deserve because of our rebellion against God. The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice. God will hold everyone accountable. Third or fourth, depend upon how you're counting here, holiness, sovereignty, justice, grace. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Passage you are no doubt familiar with, especially when we get to verse 16. It so says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus sympathizes with our weakness. He is not weak. He stood up under temptation to the point of never giving in. Not even when the devil himself tempted. He used the, the, the eternal word of God to silence his tempter. Verse 16, let us then, because this is a reality, because Jesus, the son of God, who's passed through the heavens, who is our great high priest, who sympathizes with our weakness, who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin, because that is true. Let us then with confidence, not arrogance, confidence, Confidence in who Jesus is. Confidence in what Jesus has accomplished. Confidence that Jesus is the Son of God, sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us draw, or yeah, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, if you're a believer here in Jesus Christ today, then one of the things that you can take as a promise is that you can draw confidently to the throne of grace. You know, we still struggle with sin. We're just no longer slaves to it. We still struggle with doubt. Sometimes we're tempted to believe that God's not big enough, that God's power is not in this situation, that God cannot speak to this situation And the thing is, is we cannot think that way. We need to realize is that we have someone who is our advocate, who is at the right hand of the throne of God, even now advocating for you. So you can draw confidently to that throne of grace so that you may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guess what? We're a needy people. We need Jesus. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God the Father every moment of every day. The thing is, I can trust in everything that God is, everything that God has proclaimed himself to be, and what his throne signifies in its holiness, its sovereignty, its justice, and the grace that can be found there. And lastly, eternal life. You're close to the book of Revelation, so turn to Revelation 22. Revelation 22, beginning in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. The river of the water of life, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Because that's what Jesus Christ has accomplished as that sacrificial lamb. He takes that which is spiritually dead. And when his sacrifice is applied to that unbeliever in saving faith, he's no longer eternally dead. He's eternally alive. He has eternal life in Jesus Christ. And it's from that throne that that life will eternally flow. Nothing will challenge that, nothing will change that because that's God's will for eternity. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. See there's a day coming church family where what we're doing here as preparation for what's yet to come. But the, the, the glorious aspect that'll we'll be missing, well, actually, the glorious aspect that'll be present, not missing, because sin is not glorious, is the fact that you will no longer be a sinner. You will no longer struggle with sin. You will no longer struggle with doubt. Your faith will be made sight, and you will worship him. In perfection forever. As the God who saves, as the God whose throne is holy and sovereign over all, who executes justice, who gives grace and gives eternal life. That's Jesus being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's God's throne. Third, as we take a look at verse uh, 21 of Ephesians chapter 1, the third evidence in this immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe is evidence in everything being made subject to Christ. Look at verse 21 of Ephesians chapter 1. It says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Far above it. Not just equal with it. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Because God is above all. And above every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. See, everything is being made subject to Jesus Christ because he accomplished what he has sent to do. The immeasurable power of God's greatness is evidence in Christ being raised from the dead. It is evidence in Christ being seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It is evidenced in everything being made subject to him because he is far above all role and authority and power and dominion. Jesus answers to no one. He is almighty God. And he has a name that is above every name. Why? Because it is at the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow. It's at the name of Jesus that we're saved. There is no other name under heaven. Philippians chapter 2, starting actually in verse 8. It says, then, being found in, the, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, because that's a reality, because Jesus humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every knee. No one can escape it. Whether you're Jew or Gentile, whether you're male or female, whether you're slave or free, whether it's past, present, or future, whether you're physically alive or dead, your knee will bow. Every world leader, every unbeliever that is in this world today, their knee will bow. Nothing will stop that. No amount of rebellion, because God will bring into subjection, God will bring in under his sovereignty every human being that he has made. He will hold them accountable. And they will confess as they bow that knee. Notice what it says. It goes on to say in verse 10, So that in the name of Jesus, that powerful name, every knee should bow in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. So there is not a place anywhere where a knee will not bow. Whether a human knee or even the creation itself. Because it is, we're told that even the rocks will cry out if we fail to praise God. I told you once, I'll tell you twice, And I'll tell you a third time. I don't want to be outdone by a rock. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, that's what it's all about. This is what everything is culminating to. This is what the end is looking forward to. So as those who have been saved by you know faith and through grace and faith in Jesus Christ today, we realize there is a day coming where every knee is going to bow. And every tongue is going to confess. And glory be to God that I've received grace and mercy. And I've already admitted that Jesus Christ is the son of God. I've trusted him as my savior and my Lord. Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 16. Paul also speaks to this. For he says, he is the image, image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, the first one resurrected from the dead. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So there's nothing outside of that purview. Paul didn't leave any aspect out of there. And no matter as we look at the world in which we live today and we see all of the ungodly rulers ruling in our world today, guess what? They are not exempt from the sovereignty and the almighty power of almighty God to whom they must give an account. For by him all things were created, all things were created through him and for him. So how should these truths inform our lives today? We've seen two evidences of Christ being seated at the right hand of the throne of God and everything being made subject to him, whether in heaven above, on the earth, here, or below the earth. Well, first, God's throne signifies praise. If you're a believer here today, you should be singing a new song. Not a song that is, woe is me. Not the country songs that the singer has lost everything, including his dog. And they said if you play a country song backwards, he'll get everything back. (laughs) I'm not a country music singer, but. The thing is, is that God's throne signifies a praise beyond the things of this world. Beyond all those things that the world cherishes. He, uh, Revelation 14, the beginning of, of verse 3 says, And they were singing a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures, and before the elders. See, Jesus has put a song in our heart. We are the redeemed, and we need to say so. We have a message of hope, a, me- a message of salvation, a message of reconciliation. And that should be a song on your heart, your mind, your lips. So as you walk through this world, people will see the difference. As Christians living in the world, not being of the world. But this, the God's throne signifies praise, a praise that there is nothing. And I repeat, nothing that exceeds, transcends, or outsigns the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Do you believe that this morning? One person does. And maybe a whole bunch of you silently, hopefully. See, the thing is, if you don't believe that, then you're going to live a defeated Christian life. You're going to be overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. You're going to give in to the temptations of this life. If you do not believe that there is nothing that exceeds, transcends, or outshines the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards you as a believer, as a son, as a daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords, as he works his great might in your life, then you're going to walk around saying, woe is me, life's unfair, and have a completely wrong perspective. You won't have a new song on your heart. That's why we need to be reminded. That's why Paul is, you know, framing this through the inspiration of the Spirit because God knew that you and I would need to know about the almighty power of God and that we could not forget about that almighty power. Because the thing is we get so involved in living life that we forget God. And what we do is we end up, you know, either in, inadvertently or intentionally separating God from the rest of our life. if God is over here, God is what I do on Sunday mornings, and this is the rest of my life. And as a believer, you can't do that. If you're doing that and effectively doing that, then maybe you're not a believer. And that's why you should examine yourself to make sure that you belong to God. Because if you're a believer, then the almighty God, the Holy Spirit himself resides in you so that everything that you do in life is like this. See, God is not just your God on Sunday. Jesus is not just your Savior on Sunday. Jesus is your Savior every day of the week. So the question is, are you living as one who looks at God's throne as holy, sovereign, just, gracious, that gives you eternal life? that exceeds, transcends, and outshines everything. Because if you are, then the world will notice. Other believers will notice. And I close with a song from Sanctus Real. It's called Confidence. And I'd like to read some of the lyrics to you. It says, I am not a warrior... I'm too afraid to lose. I feel unqualified for what you're calling me to. But Lord, with your strength, I got no excuse. Because broken people are exactly who you use. So give me faith like Daniel in the lion's den. Give me hope like Moses in the wilderness. Give me a heart like David. Lord, be my defense so I can face my giants with confidence. You took a shepherd boy and made him a king. So I'm going to trust you and give you everything. I'll be a conqueror because you fight for me. I'll be a champion claiming your victory. Almost like the Olympians, conquerors, champions. See, the thing is, do you have the confidence to come into the throne room of God because of who God is? You'll notice he didn't say, I'll, I'll have confidence to do it myself. He says, with your strength, you have no excuse. So, what are you holding on to? What are you not letting go of, burden wise, that is causing you to be hopeless, faithless, and having a heart that's broken? Because whatever it is, you need to give it to God this morning. You need to trust in the power of God towards you as a believer in Jesus Christ. It's immeasurable. It's immeasurable greatness. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, the same power that seated him at the right hand of the throne of God, that place of honor, that same power that made everything subject to Christ himself. Everything without exception including everything that you're facing. So may your prayer be like that of the song, realizing that by yourself and of your own power, you're not going to be a warrior. But in the strength and the power of God, you've got no excuse. Because God can do great and mighty things through you. He can free you from the things that are dragging you down. He can cause you to see that Things may not be as unfair as you think they are, or maybe things are better than you realize because you're focusing on what's in your mind unfair and not really realizing how blessed you are. I'll be a conqueror because you fight for me. I'll be a champion claiming your victory, God's victory. Victory is has been won because death has been defeated. Let's bow for a closing word of prayer. Gracious Father, Lord, um, I pray for each believer here today, Lord. I pray for the confidence through the power of your spirit in your strength, in your power, which is almighty and immeasurable, great as it is effectively working. Help us to stop striving in our own strength. Help us to stop trying to just figure it out on our own. Because we are not alone. If we have genuinely trusted your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our Savior, the Spirit of God, your Spirit, resides in us. So, Lord, help us to yield, help us to surrender whatever it is that is superseding that almighty power. And may your spirit unleash that eternal power in our lives today. So that the world would see the hope that we have, the victory that we have, the faith that we have, the heart that we have. All that has been transformed, that has been reborn because of your great work in our lives.